0: Don't you have some kind of a line that you keep open for emergencies or for celebrities? I'm both. I'm a celebrity in an emergency. TGIF, it's Manson Mitchell with Gary Manson, Suzanne Mitchell. A double shot of good conversation with great guests to jumpstart your weekend. Manson Mitchell, you're on the air. Thank you, Eric Kramer. TGIF indeed, everybody. I'm Gary Mans. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. Together we are Mans and Mitchell in your ears for the hour, ably assisted as always by our producer on Fridays. That's bad boy Benny Mathers at the board. How are you doing, Benny? Doing very well. I hope you guys are staying dry in your area. There's been a lot of action down there in the South. There oh, is. So we've been told. A lot of rain, a lot of rain.
1: And typically with a little bit of wind, anything over five miles an hour my screens blow out (laughs) in the floor. They (laughs)
0: surrender. We actually equip them with a white flag. (laughs) The the breeze kicks up. Our screens are ready to surrender. Yelling around the neighborhood.
1: Save yourselves. Save yourselves. I'm not
0: so, seeing
2: myself. Not <laughs> <fan>. <laughs> That's okay. So. Jumping we'll get to in, in already, we've got I know. Hank
0: Garrett. He's <laughs> he's into the ring. He's he, a he's I'm, a one man tag team. He, he, yes. he just jumps right in. We love Hank Garrett, and this is our opportunity to speak with this esteemed gentleman once again. <laughs> what a
1: life he has lived. He is one of our favorite raccoon tours, as I like to say. He's got stories like nobody we know. Story after story after story of famous people that we we've all heard of and have all enjoyed on television and in movies why don't you go ahead and give him his mad props today gary and let's bring the man on i will do that and thank you benny for making sure we stay in our lane hank
0: garrett oh my goodness he's back again exposure (laughs) (laughs) exposure on national we're going to make you sound good, buddy. Exposure <laughs> on national television is Officer Ed Nicholson in Car 54, Where Are You? And by the way, Hank Garrett is the sole surviving cast member of that very beloved show. It opened all kinds of opportunities for Hank Garrett. As a stand-up comic, he opened for Tony Bennett for four years. He also opened and or toured with Duke Ellington, Count Basie, and Dinah Washington. And he was the first white comedian to appear at the fame, the fabled Apollo Theater in Harlem. That's extraordinary. Hank's career has spanned nearly six decades as a comedian, actor, voiceover artist, and as a Hall of Fame martial arts and wrestling legend. With enough trophies, medals, plaques, and (laughs) awards to sink a mob hid in the East River. There, so, (laughs) Lou Gabratzi may sleep with the fishes, but Hank Garrett is alive and well and with us today. Hank, we're glad to have you back. Thank you so much for having me back.
1: (laughs) We wanted to have some fun today, and we said, who better to have fun with than Hank Garrett? We've been been talking about comedies lately, and you have uh, just a whole stretch in your autobiography that involves so many comedians. And we will be sure to give out the um, the name of your book and, and talk about all of that good stuff when we go to our break at the bottom of the hour. But let's just jump right into it, Hank. All One, right. The first name that came up that Gary and I were thinking about and reading about in your autobiography is Sid Caesar. How did you meet Sid Caesar?
2: Oh my God. A uh, big fan of the show. And as a kid, what I did was uh, I snuck into the theater where they were rehearsing. Uh, I climbed the back stairway. uh, Actually, the fire escape went over the roof and down into the theater. And I was sitting in the back way up on top, very quietly. And at one point, Sid did a a piece and I had lived a piece and I, I broke out laughing loud, loud and Sid yelled. Who's up there? And I stood up and he said, Come down here. And <laughs> I said, okay. And I knew I, I was in trouble. I for sure I knew they were gonna call the cops. And I brought, he came, I came down and I sat down. He said, sit right here in front. And here I was, the only one in the audience. And he said, You will only laugh when I say something funny. Forget them. They're not funny. I am. I said, Okay. And I sat there for the entire show. And after the show, Sid asked me to come into his dressing room. And he said, You big guy. I was lifting weights. I started pumping iron when I was 13 and I was a martial artist. Uh, I studied martial arts when I was 11, only because I wanted to be a better street fighter. Uh, And the teacher, my sensei, the the name of Min Pai from Korea, he said, I don't teach for fight street. I teach for respect, humility. And I started training with them and yes, I learned respect and humility. And Sid asked me, what do you want to do? And I said, I, I want to be a comedian like you. And he took me under his wing. He taught me dialect and he, I wound up doing dialectic gibberish. And he was my mentor and something I never forgot anytime I see someone who wants to get started in the business, I think of what Sid did for me. And so I do the same. But uh, wow, wow, what an amazing talent. In fact, he and I would do gibberish conversations. Okay, we would start off It's, it's, there's no, no sense. No words in there. (laughs) It didn't have to mean anything. It just had to sound good. (laughs) And we did that with every nationality. And I learned from the master. I
0: think that um, there's, there's something like like a uh, light that is slowly and gradually being extinguished in the world and i hope the flame never goes out hank and when i say that i am referring to what is commonly known as the comedy of the borscht belt comedian oh now recently we just lost jackie mason one of my all-time favorites oh yeah and all of these great people one by one they have passed away I hope that that comedy style never goes out of style, Hank, because it gets me laughing instantly. I mean, if you talk side-splitting or your sides hurting you, you're laughing so hard, very few forms of comedy affect me in that way. But yes. the Borscht Belt style, the kind of thing you did in the Cat Skills, that gets me every time. That needs
2: to continue. Oh, I in fact, I was talking to someone yesterday and I quoted Henny Youngman uh, tell, starting to tell a story. And uh, he said, so these two Jewish guys get up and Alan King got up and said, why is it every joke you tell have to be two Jewish guys? <laughs> he says, okay, two Chinese gentlemen get on a bus and one says to the other, where are you going for Passover? <laughs>
0: Alan King actually started, I can't remember which show he was on. I think it was late night TV. Uh, God bless him there. Uh, He's one of those who passed away. He represents so much, but Alan King uh, made a joke it it did have an ethnic context and people laughed. He wasn't getting big laughs until he told that joke. And and he said, yeah, when all else fails, go ethnic. He was actually muttering that as he's doing his
2: routine. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. I, I remember the wonderful team of Smith and Dale. Uh, there was a two older Jewish comics, and the first time I saw them, I I did the Sullivan show, and when Sullivan didn't fire me, because he, <laughs> I was supposed to do his show, and he walked into my the dressing room and he said, uh, "Wait a minute, you look so familiar to me," and I said, "Yes," and he said, "Are you on a show?" And I said, "Yeah, I'm doing Car 54. Where are you?" He said, you're on opposite me. Pay him off. He's not going on. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. And uh, his son-in-law, who was the casting director, said, I'll have you back in three weeks. You know, he won't remember who you are. (laughs) Sure enough, I was back in three weeks.
0: Ed Sullivan, let's talk for a minute about Ed Sullivan. People who were not even born when Ed Sullivan was around can do an Ed Sullivan impression and they remember him. And like when the Beatles played Sullivan, it becomes a cultural reference and Ed Sullivan in that way lives on seemingly forever. When you did encounter the great Ed Sullivan, did he seem especially formidable even to a a strong guy and a street fighter like you, was he a forbidding presence to the talent that worked for him?
2: Absolutely. Uh, When he walked by and he just glared at me and he hadn't even met me. And I I said, Oh, I'm going to have a problem. He had that look about him that you knew you were going to have a problem before the show went on. Now, you wanted to do your best when the show, when the, you were introduced, but you were in fear of Sullivan disapproving. But he was okay. It's just that uh, boy didn't want to take any chances, stay clear of him. That's
0: what Alan King said in an interview uh, during a documentary. It was one of those special features. It, during an an interview about the Sullivan years and all that Ed Sullivan meant to popular culture in the, uh, in the fifties and sixties, especially. And Alan King said, the truth is he could be an SOB. And you can tell as he's being interviewed, somebody's looking at him in the room, like, what are you saying? This is about Ed Sullivan there. And he just kind of looked in their direction and he said, you know, he could be an SOB, but if
2: he liked you, you were in. Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: And did you think that he liked you, Hank, after he, you know, got to know you, saw you work? Uh, Yeah, he
2: kind of liked the stuff I was doing. Uh, Didn't say anything, but someone said, you're in. He smiled. Ah Oh, okay, <laughs> Let's see it. there good. it is.
0: I know one time when Ed Sullivan did not smile and thank goodness it wasn't occasioned by a Hank Garrett appearance at that moment. But there was a time and I want to say it was back in 1964, an election year there. And I uh, recall did I see it as a kid maybe, but I sure have seen you can find it on YouTube now because it's a notorious moment in the history of the Ed Sullivan Show a very, very funny young comedian who was making a name for himself, Jackie Mason was making Yes. And Lyndon Johnson, President Lyndon Johnson, decided that he needed to burst in with some news about when an election was going to be held or something to do with the election. It was, it was political. It was going to serve the agenda of Lyndon Johnson. And despite the fact that Walter Cronkite was very busy in those days, and, and uh, Huntley and Brinkley, etc. cetera, had uh, news channels during the evening news nationally where you could make such an announcement it would be pretty ordinary news but president johnson uh, burst in on the ed sullivan show wow okay i guess only he could do that and it interrupted the routine that jackie mason was doing and jackie's getting laughs he always did there and um, all of a sudden here comes lyndon johnson and uh, somebody had to signal jackie Mason. With the the display of a finger, whichever one they chose to indicate that, you know, this announcement from the president was happening there and Jackie Mason was confused by this. What's this with the finger? And afterward, he said uh, something about, you know, so he so I get the finger and you get the finger and, and Sullivan gets the finger and when he did that, Ed Sullivan interpreted that to mean that he was being flipped off, flipped the bird by Jackie Mason. Exactly. And they put the camera on Ed Sullivan for an instant there. And I saw steam coming out of that guy's ears.
2: Oh yeah. Yeah. They 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 signaled Jackie one minute, and that was it. And Jackie said, You give me the thing, I gave to you the finger." Then I I <laughs> think that's what he did. And he was finished. He was through that, that one moment yeah. that, that
0: shouldn't, even if you look, well, it should happen because it did happen. But there, if you look at it in terms of show business versus the news of the day there are any breaking news, by all rights, you could say that it shouldn't have even happened. This was an interruption of this professional doing his work over something that was not earth-shaking news. But when the president wants airtime back then, it wasn't so much a matter of negotiation as being informed that the president will be speaking. And Jackie Mason paid a huge price for that. His career, they say, was set back about
2: 20 years. Yeah, he was was blackballed. Mm. In fact, Sullivan called everyone he knew and said don't use this bum wow so jack oh
0: and it it wasn't until jackie mason and i don't even know how this happened i'm sure there's a biography somewhere that tells the tale but jackie mason was fortunate enough to climb back into the ring so to speak and to uh, be a major comedian, a comic star, again, because he came up with a show. It was on Broadway, The World According to Me. Yeah.
1: And it involved
0: Jackie Mason <laughs> sounding off about everything from soup to nuts. They're uh, hilarious. And I, I remember watching that on tape, and I thought, this man is so incredibly funny. I'm just so sorry that whether it was being born under a dark star or he just couldn't keep his foot out of his mouth. Jackie Mason, for all his brilliance, kept shooting himself in the foot. He would just go along for a while, and then he'd say or do something that would cause him to fall from grace
2: all over again. I saved him from a beating. <laughs> that's really? t- well, uh, that's one that story, story we would love to hear. Please tell. Oh, yeah. Uh, we were saying we all hung out. Uh, the B&G coffee shop on 52nd street broadway and a guy i knew uh, who was a little bit connected who was a singer now he came around with his wife and with jackie and myself and a bunch of other comics are standing there and talking and i knew the guy i had worked with him uh i can't recall his name at the moment and so Jackie was standing there with me, and he, the guy introduced me to his wife. Jackie said, that's your wife. I thought it was your brother because of the mustache.
1: Oh, no.
2: <laughs> well, the guy looked at me, and I knew he was going to haul off and punch Jackie in the face. And I said, he's just, he's just he can't help it. He, he has to make a joke of everything. He says, Hank, I'm gonna kill him. I said, no, 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 leave him alone. And I'm trying to shove Jackie away. Get out of here. Walk away. But he wouldn't stop. He says, Well, she's probably got the mustache because she wants to look a little older. And I go, oh, Jackie, stop. And I grabbed Jackie. And I shoved him and he said, why? I'm not good enough for this group and he wouldn't stop. And finally, I had to put my arm around the guy. And I said, yeah, hes he's just he's a jerk. Forget about it. You know, he's, he's just a hang around kid and he thinks he wants to be funny. You
0: covered for him very well. People would be amazed, Hank, if they knew that Jackie Mason actually was fully trained as a rabbi. Oh yes,
2: in, in fact, his father was a rabbi, Maza, Rabbi Maza, and that's Jackie's name. And uh, yeah, he was training to be a rabbi.
0: Wow you are a handy guy to have around when trouble. is <laughs> I am telling yeah, that's you that's for sure. That that's is just sure. amazing. Let me tell you something, Hank, I want to segue and God bless Jackie Mason. He's somewhere cracking jokes and I, jokes. And hopefully God is not offended. There's <laughs> got to be a place in comedy heaven for Jackie Mason. He, he was really special. Oh, um, I used to watch F Troop religiously when I was a kid. Never missed it. Two things happened that that gave me a one was uh, a shock to me, which I enjoyed. And the other made me very sad. The first F Troop shock was when this wonderful black and white show went to color the next season. Now it's in color. Wow, look at these guys. And I remember being pleasantly surprised by that. But I was most unpleasantly surprised when they canceled F Troop. And to this day, I occasionally I'll catch it on uh, YouTube. I'll just go watch these scenes. They're hilarious. And I keep thinking, what a funny man. And yet underneath it all, what a sensitive man was the sole surviving member of that cast, Larry Storch. Have you heard from him lately? I speak
2: to him every day. Seriously. Wow. Call Larry yesterday. (laughs) Yeah. I, I check on him all the time. He is now not as uh, the lady who was uh, staying with him. He is 98 and a half. Oh my, oh goodness. my God. God bless him. Mm. And uh, Larry, oh my God, what an amazing talent. He was, we had him on Car 54, and he played Charlie the Drunk, <laughs> and he was always drunk. And so we talked to him, all of us on call 54, you've got to straighten up. It's okay. He says, no more. That's it guys. I'm not drinking anymore. He said, you've shown me the way. In fact, some, we looked at it last night and he says, yeah, you know, I would walk down third Avenue, Charlie's bar and grill. I mean, it was all glass, you know, boom. And he did this and he said, and then, and then I'd go to the, uh, the the Rialto bar, which was a few feet. Now there, they gave you two shots. You bought a shot. They gave you a shot. Boom, boom. Well, by the time he finishes talking, he's dead drunk. Just reliving the shots that he was getting. And he was so brilliant. just you know, getting progressively drunk just by talking about it. And Matt Hyken, at one crazy. point, who created Car 54, said, watch a genius at work. And mm. he was right.
0: He was right. Wow. And he could have been speaking about himself. Uh, Matt Hyken was so what? He's the kind of guy who should have lived to be 100. Oh. He had he had a way. Phil Silver said him. He was doing an interview uh, alongside Jack Benny, no less, being interviewed by Dick Cabot. And as best I can recall, Phil Silver said the thing about Nat Hyken was if you were just talking to him personally, he wasn't such a good talker one-to-one, but he was a brilliant writer. When he put that comedy on the page, it really came alive and you had a couple of still beloved hits i mean the phil silver show often called sergeant bilko all of that was created by nat hyken and then of course car 54 there are people that will write for 50 years and not come up with one hit show he came up with two and i think he didn't if i recall correctly he didn't even live to see 60.
2: no uh he uh yeah he he died at an early age he uh he uh
0: but to be able to come up with this kind of material in a way that works so much of that seeing you have the experience Hank there when I get on the subject of comedy and I'll be talking just conversationally I will say the funniest comedy on earth in my entire life experience comes from vaudeville it comes from the borscht belt it comes from the cat skills this is this is comedy that has a universal appeal Whereas today, to be perfectly honest with you, there are shows that are smash hit Emmy winning shows. And if they can get me to laugh or even giggle once in an episode, (laughs) I'm doing well. I don't get it. And I just say, I think it's generational that I don't get this show or that show or the animated series, Family Guy. People, oh, did you see the episode of Family Guy? That was so hilarious. I'm going, I'm sorry. I don't think the show's ever made me laugh once. I'm still waiting for something funny to happen on Funny Guy or Family Guy. It's not Funny Guy. It's Family Guy. And it's supposed to be this hilarious animated series. But there's nothing that I can connect to, given my own history, with watching comedy and enjoying these great people like Jack Benny and Woody Allen when he was doing stand-up. Those two, you talk about the Ed Sullivan show. If you had Jack Benny coming on and Woody Allen coming on, guarantee, as soon as they stepped on stage, they didn't have to say a word. They're just standing there, and the audience is already
2: laughing. Uh, do you remember the team of Smith and Dale? I can't say no. that I do. There were two older Jewish gentlemen, and, and they did a routine. And I had the good fortune of seeing them do it on the Sullivan Show. And they walk out, and they're well—they're well they're dressed, and suddenly they became. Dr. Cronkite and his patient. And he walks in. (laughs) one says, hello, hello, doctor. He says, hello. So tell me, doctor, what do you charge? I charge $75 for the first visit and $12 for the second. Well, here I am again. He says, well, you got the same thing you had before. (laughs) And it's I'm watching the master's work. Say, oh my God. I learned so much by watching Sid Caesar, a master, and watching the old timers and that timing was incredible. The pauses, they knew exactly when to come back in. They waited for the laugh. And when the laugh was ready to subside, boom, the next line. Yeah, you're right. You're right. There are are no people like that anymore.
1: You had another connection with Sid Caesar that I thought was very interesting when we were reading your autobiography. And that was when you did stand up and went to the Catskills. You went to where he went. Didn't oh. you go? Didn't you go to the same place or start at the same place? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, what a, what an interesting coincidence, an interesting synchronicity that the man who was mentoring you, you ended up starting there. Did you do your stand up generally before car fifty four? Where are you? Uh
2: yeah, I did. I did and during. Up. Yes. And uh I, I'm from the streets of Harlem. And there were times that comedy saved me from a beating from an opposing gang.
1: Yeah.
2: Uh, I was surrounded by a group. I got my nose was broken for the first time when I was nine years old by a gang. member. Wow. And. I knew if I could talk my way out of a situation. But if I made it funny by telling things about the neighborhood, I could walk away unscathed. And that's how it happened for me. Hmm. I started listening to radio, listening to old timers on radio, telling jokes. And that's what
1: I did. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah, that's, that saved you from uh, from having things be worse than yeah. what they were.
0: Uh, let's extend our time just before our break enough for it, because it seems to fit in here. Uh, Hank, as Officer Ed Nicholson, was in uniform, and he was filming an episode. And uh, this was on maybe two hours sleep and a quick cat nap there that until nipsey russell who was also in that show yeah there woke him up to go get on stage you're on you're on and he goes there and uh automatically hank garrett starts doing his comedy routine he's supposed to be doing his life <laughs> <laughs> star <laughs> 54 and matt Hiken was there to observe this oh yeah I,
2: he woke me up and i said good evening ladies and gentlemen it is my pleasure to spend the next few moments with you <laughs> <laughs> And that said he doesn't know where he is. <laughs> and I started, and they really I'm I'm into my <laughs> doing my
0: act. Oh Hank. That could have been an episode unto itself where you're moonlighting. And then you're just you can't remember where you are, you don't know which job is which, oh. and you start doing this. That would have been a
2: great episode. Oh God. I'm thinking of any young men. You know, now take my wife, please. Yes. <laughs> All yeah. those lines.
1: Uh, In fact, need-
2: uh, I, I quoted Matt, uh, uh, oh God, Henny, Henny Youngman was telling a joke, and he's on stage, and he says, so these two Jewish guys, and Alan King jumped up and said, why does everything have to be Jewish, he says, OK, so two Chinese guys get on a bus. and so one Chinaman says to the other, What are you going for Passover? <laughs> Where did I hear
0: that before? I, uh, yeah, <laughs> Hank Garrett is our honored guest of this hour. What a guy. He's got stories galore. And we're going to get to some more of them. Stuff from his own career, his own life. And what a life he is living to this very day, as a matter of fact. Suzanne, uh, you handle the marketing piece on the other side. We're running late for a break, let's make it a quick one. Hank Garrett, our guest, we are Manson Mitchell and folks you are tuned in to Suddenly Comedy Central here and we love it. This is AM 1150, we will be right back. Hi everybody, this is Anson Williams from Happy Days and I'm so excited to tell you about American Road. It is the best car travel magazine in the world. They have the most fantastic adventures, detailed in each magazine with all your itinerary. We could just jump in the car with your family, and have the most fabulous adventures you've ever had in your life. Please, get a copy of American Road and start your own adventure. Staying connected with Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell is easy. Just go to manceandmitchell.com for the latest info on topics and guests. Friend Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell on their Facebook pages and like the Manson and Mitchell show page at facebook.com slash Mitchell.
1: On Friday, Manson Mitchell welcome back Hank Garrett, the sole surviving cast member from Car 54, Where Are You? And the man who broke Robert Redford's nose in Three Days of the Condor.
0: On Saturday, it's DJ's for a day as we play songs for the working man and working woman during this Labor Day weekend tribute. Bringing you mastery and mystery since 2007. We are Manson Mitchell, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on Alternative Talk AM 1150 you found us. Maybe you've been guided to listen. Alternative Talk 1150.
1: Welcome back to Manson Mitchell and our special guest this hour, Hank Garrett. Hank Garrett of both television and movies. He's uh, the last surviving cast member of car 54 where are you he worked with robert redford in uh, three days of the condor actually broke robert redford's nose and heard about it <laughs> and, 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 <laughs> and we are getting some great stories out of him from his autobiography which i want to mention right now the autobiography is called from harlem hoodlum to hollywood heavyweight and this is our uh, fourth interview with hank garrett We've uh, talked about his background, his childhood. Today, we are talking a little bit about uh, his his years of comedy and with the famous comedians and people that he worked with at a certain time in his life. So, thank you for being with us, Hank. And um, thank I- you. Yeah, happy to have you here. And I wanted to make sure we got the name of your book out and we will get it out again right before the end of the hour. From Harlem Hoodlum to Hollywood Heavyweight, filled, filled with fascinating, fascinating stories. One of the stories that really caught my attention, Hank, was because I had been talking about this actress the day before. It had just come up in conversation. And then we were reading in your autobiography that you were asked to escort Audrey Hepburn on a date for which she was um, um, sold as a matter of a big charity right. event or auction something. Auction for lunch Au- with
0: this gorgeous Right, celebrity.
1: auction for lunch. And so I wanted you to tell that story about Audrey Hepburn. Oh,
2: Uh, I had a manager when I was wrestling, uh, and at one point they were building me, uh, to possibly go for the championship in uh, wrestling, uh, I got a call from him and he said, how would you like to pick up a few bucks, uh, doing an escort? I said, what do I have to do? He said, nothing, just wear a suit, and just escort this. Young lady uh, to a fundraiser. Uh, she raises funds for children's hospitals. I said, "Oh, sure, absolutely." Well, a limo comes to pick me up uh, and takes me to Beverly Hills, and I don't know who I'm escorting. Uh, the chauffeur is mum. He's not saying a word, and he pulls up to this beautiful residence. He gets out, he says, I'll be right back. And he goes and he's escorting this young lady from her home to the car. And I can't make out who it is. And they get to the door. He opens the door. And in comes Audrey Hepburn. Wow. I stepped on my tongue two or three times. (laughs) My foot is in my mouth. I cannot believe. Cause I she was absolutely breathtaking. She comes in and says, Hi, hello, how are you? And I said, hey, to have have a, have a, And the chauffeur says, uh, he's trying to say Hank Garrett. So and he the chauffeur tells her he's a, a professional wrestler. Uh, So you're in safe hands. And she said, are his hands safe? (laughs) And he said, yes, I assure you. And I'm sitting there like a two-year-old child huddled up in a corner. And she gets in and starts. And we had a few words. And we drive to this place where they're having this fundraiser. Oh. He opens the door, he escorts her out. I step out and I see there's a line of chauffeurs and look like bodyguards. So I go over and she says, oh, no, no, Hank, you're with me. You're my escort. And I went, oh, well, then um, we go into this big, beautiful hall And she goes to sit down and I see guys standing against the wall. So I get up to go to, uh, she said, no, you sit here with me, Hank. You're my date. Oh my gosh. Well, I'd never peed on myself before. (laughs) (laughs) And so I'm sitting there with Audrey Hepburn and she's, referring to me. Every time she said something, she would look at me and I would say something. Uh and she said, You're very funny. I said, well, I also am a comedian. She said, oh my God, you've got to invite me to one of your performances. I said, sure. (laughs) Bill's dive. I'm going to invite Audrey Hepburn. And we sat there. And she treated me like you would a date. She'd say, try this. This is this one. This is food is wonderful. And that, well, they were bidding on having either lunch or dinner with Audrey Hepburn. The final bid was $25,000. Wow. Me, they bid $1.17. <laughs> <laughs> And at the end of the evening, they wanted the dollar 17 back. Uh, and it was a night I've never forgotten. Uh, yeah. We finish, uh, we were leaving, get in the car, drive her home. She says, Thank you, Hank. You were wonderful. I you you made the evening for me. Thank you so much. I said, Good. you're quite welcome. And when the, the chauffeur drove me back to my hotel, he said, uh, Mr. Garrett, I got to tell you, you never stopped smiling from the moment she got in the car till the moment she left. Yeah. You were like a little boy, just, oh boy, so, so thrilled to be alive. Yeah. So oh. that was my evening with Audrey Hepburn. She was an amazing lady, gorgeous gorgeous lady and very sweet very very sweet
1: i'm happy to hear that what a beautiful memory she looked oh. like a sweet person and i i would be disillusioned to find out if she was mean or nasty so i'm I'm glad you said that from, oh. from your firsthand perspective that's really great
2: yeah evening i i have never forgotten
0: mm. Let me go just off script here for just a moment, because Hank may have had this experience, maybe witnessed it more than once there. Hank, you're good people and you treat others like good people. You have that humility and respect for other human beings. I'm bringing this up to you because I have heard stories. Maybe I've seen it once or twice, but very seldom, fortunately there. But in the world of public relations and publicity, very, very few people uh, realize how lucky you stars are to have a man like Harlan Bull being your publicist. The guy's a prince. He's brilliant at what he does and he truly cares on a personal level about his clients. We love Harlan Bull. He's great for us. However, Hank, have you been witness to when Jackie Mason wasn't around? I mean, have you been in a situation where you saw a celebrity, choose to name them or not, but whichever you prefer, who treated publicists, personal assistants, people of that nature as unworthy underlings whom they could verbally abuse. And maybe you thought, wow, I'd like to step in and and, uh, take care of business with this person because they're treating people who help them stay famous as though they are just minions, just little cretins who don't count for
2: anything. Do you run into that? Uh, when you're raised on the street, first thing you do is size somebody up. Is he going to be a friend or are you going to wind up having an adversary? I was a fighter, always a fighter, always in trouble. So I always looked at someone kind of askew. It took me a long time to lose that. I never trusted. Uh, I've traveled with some really unsavory people. I've seen a lot of unsavory things happen. And. I lived with those moments. And so I started treating people a lot differently. I believe in God and God doesn't put me in harm's way. This is what I've learned. And that's uh, kind of my my way of life. I am very passionate animals people that are in need or people who are in trouble. I do whatever I possibly can. So I I really don't characterize people anymore. I used to size somebody up because I knew I'm going to one day have a situation with this person, and that's the way I looked at life. Uh yeah, am well, I gonna have a problem with you? And if I have to fight you, how would I fight you? And I one day just realized it's no way to go through life, and so I changed my attitude and I changed my way of looking at people and life. So that, that's pretty much my motto.
1: You know, it's interesting that you that you say that you have been protected by God, because it it what is so interesting about that is that physically you were definitely able to take care of yourself. Yes, as, as a heavyweight fighter and somebody who was in martial arts, there are probably very few people who could have taken you but it, it's interesting that you say that you were not put in a lot of those situations where that was going to be called for. And, um, and that is a mental attitude. That is, uh, you know, how you look at your life. Yes.
2: Uh, I look at animals, uh, especially animals with such love and it's, it's something that I learned later in life, I always loved having a dog. And now I, I feel that way about all animals. We're all God's creatures. Yeah. And yeah. so, uh, you know, I, I don't mean to preach,
1: but no, <laughs> no, that's okay. It's your philosophy. You know, we like, we like to hear about your philosophy you 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 were saying that you know you're, you're being looked out for and you're being taken care of but one of the funniest stories in your book that speaks to that very thing is a story that you call cash or check from <laughs> elmont long island when you were when you were doing a, a, a work there and you were getting paid by rocky do you remember that story <sighs> no no <laughs> uh,
0: oh, i can help you out with that sunday everybody looked forward to sunday because that was payday when sunday you were there and, and um you had a, a a man who was ready to pay you but he told you, which oh, oh, you at the he, had a, he had a room yes of yes care, all this yeah, cashly yeah. in there and he wanted to pay you by check what's up with that oh he had
2: <laughs> i didn't know him personally he knew my uncle, my adopted uncle. Pay night, we got, and it was the guy who was the headliner, and he said, uh, "What do you got to get?" And he said it was nine hundred. And he said he he said a thousand dollars. He had stacks of twenties all over his desk. He says, "Here's a thousand dollars. You're the best. God bless your throat." Then the little girl, singer, dancer, what do you got to get, 200 Here's $260, not on you the best. I never saw a like that in my life. Hank, come over here. Yeah, sit down. Uh, listen, Hank, uh, I'm going to have to give you a check. I said, Vinny, you got thousands of dollars all over this desk. You're going to give me a check," he says. "Do me a favor. Take the check, please." I said, "No, I. I why can't you give me, Hank? Please, take the check. Do you understand?" I. <laughs> I take the check. I take the check, and it clears later on i find out everybody that got paid with those 20s the 20s bounced they were counterfeit wow (laughs) all those
0: 20s counterfeit
2: yes they must have printed that morning (laughs) so everybody went to the union with these phony 20s to the cops when they got to the club the club was closed
1: Ah,
2: everybody was gone. Wow. So I spoke to my uncle. And he said, they did you a favor, they called me. The check was good.
1: Yeah.
2: So I said, Well, thank you very much.
1: And
0: that has such a surprise ending because you expect me to take a a check when I'm looking at thousands sitting on your desk
1: Exactly.
0: (laughs) and it was the cash that was no good. Now, was there ever any kind of reckoning because those people must've been rather upset.
2: Oh, everyone that had worked the club was the musicians, the waiters, the waitresses. I don't know how long that club had been open. Uh, I was asked for, uh, my uncle told me about it and, uh, said, okay, the money is fine.
1: And went and did this show? <laughs> oh my God. That's great. That's great. You know, one of the other things that I read in your autobiography is that you had a fan club. When was that started during car oh. 54 days?
2: Exactly. And not only Ah. that, I had a fan club when I was wrestling. Okay. Uh, I was wrestling as Hank Daniels, the Minnesota farm boy. I'd never been to Minnesota. I never saw a farm. (laughs) That's the name they gave me. They dyed my hair blonde. I had long blonde hair and the fan club of women. Older women, women who were in their 80s and 90s, made my wardrobe. And every time they came to see me wrestle, they brought tons of food. So all the wrestlers kept asking me, when's your club coming in again? Because they ate all the food while I was wrestling. There you go. Yeah. And uh, at one point, I was wrestling, oh, God, Baron Michelle Leone. Now, he threw me, and he was just about what they call dropping an elbow. He was going to go up in the air and land on me, elbow first. And as he was getting ready to drop that elbow, I heard bang, and he grabbed the back of his head. And he turned around. One of the old, little, little ladies got in the ring and hit him with a Coca-Cola bottle. Oh, my gosh. And she yelled, leave him alone, you damn bully. <laughs> and he looked around at her and said, I'm not going to hit her. And <laughs> I'm still lying on the mat, but I'm going to kill you. I said, I didn't hit you. She did. Well, got up and I escorted her out of the ring down the stairs she had actually climbed the stairs into the ring and he said to me get back in here I said no and she said it's not safe and I escorted her out and I did not come back oh funny I I, I got fined Hmm.
1: nevertheless
0: (laughs) a smart move I would say (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very good. Very good. Fan club for wrestling. And, uh, and then car 54, where are you?
0: Et cetera, et cetera. There, Hank, we're always delighted when you come and visit with us because the stories
1: are nonstop. They come from your heart as well as your head. And, and the-, the book. Let's mention the book once more because people do. should read the book. It is just filled with great stories. The book is called from Harlem hoodlum to Hollywood heavyweight.
2: Well, Garrett
1: of, is the author. That's wonderful. I have, do have to
2: mention. Yeah. The proceeds go to the disabled American veterans. There you go. We take our cost. And that's it. I've done this all over the country. I did this when I was doing autograph shows. Mm-hmm. And Deanna Marie and I so far have raised over 60,000.
1: Oh, that's great. And it all
2: goes to the disabled American veterans.
1: Another good reason to get the book.
0: And you're still doing good in the world. there, Hank Garrett, we thank you once again for joining us. I've got more stories in my head. Some <laughs> aren't even in the in the book when they come from you. It's just beautiful, fresh material that tells us they the funny side of what it is to be a human being. Oh, there. And you, you, you communicate that so if, well.
1: you don't mind if we adopt you as our official storyteller, do you? My
0: new Uncle Hank.
2: <laughs>
1: yeah. We want to have
2: you back for more stories. Anytime. Thank you so very much.
1: Okay. Well, pleasure for being with us today. Hank Garrett, everybody. Yeah, a lot of fun. Coming up next, we have the Christine Upchurch show, followed um, at 1 o'clock by American Road Trip Talk with host Gary Mance. What it's have you got going on today, Gary?
0: Well, thank you, Suzanne. It's going to be a different kind of a show. In fact, it's a two-parter. We are going to be discussing the national, the September 11th, national memorial trail oh 20 years 20 years since that unbelievably tragic day and this is a way of remembering and also a way to be inspired so please tune in at 1 p.m right here on 11 50 a.m thank Join you so us much for joining us yes we'll be back tomorrow until then make this the start of a great weekend everyone